from the high desert in the far east west Texas, this is the world's fastest growing sports media podcast with that sports TV rating. Uh, joining me on the High Desert Hotline for this episode is Rick Cordella. Rick is the EVP and General Manager of uh, NBC Sports' Digital Media Division, uh, which on the product side includes all the NBCSports.com uh, properties and the NBC Sports Talk franchises, including uh, Mike Florio's Pro Football Talk and uh, streaming services like NBC Sports Gold. And on the back-end side, uh, Playmaker Media, which handles the uh, streaming technology. And digital streaming and over-the-top service, services topics are all the rage right now. So, Rick, it's truly my pleasure to welcome you to the world's fastest-growing sports media podcast with that Sports TV ratings. Great. Thanks. Thanks for having me, Robert. Appreciate it. Uh, no problem. So, you know, I try to give a 50,000-foot thumbnail of your organization, but worry that framing it, uh, you know, kind of as a front-end and back-end, uh, you know, so- somehow it does a does a disservice to you, uh, both in size and scope of your organization. Uh, you know, what... What does what does the fifty thousand foot view uh, stomp out that you want to shine a light on? Jeez, I, I mean, I think and I've been at NBC now for eleven years, and, and digital media uh, has changed quite quite drastically. We started out as, as news and information website back in two thousand six. Uh, we added live streaming. I think the, I think we were the first ones that streamed the NFL back in I think it was the two thousand eight season. So we've been doing this for quite a while. And then obviously expanded at the Olympics. We streamed every everything that had a camera on it. We streamed last last year in Rio, and Golf Channel came in. The RSNs came in through the uh, NBCU Comcast merger. And so the portfolio right now is, is largely you know both that old news and information side of it, but really increasingly more about video delivery and video monetization. You know, the live rights, the VOD rights, the direct consumer uh, monetization. And then once we built up that back end, we realized we had a pretty great technological infrastructure right. that we're now white labeling and, and pushing out to, to third-party clients. Uh, that sounds good. Uh, you know, there, there's a just tremendous general interest in terms of how TV will survive right now and uh, survive and thrive. And uh, that's not limited to sports, but there's certainly a lot of interest on the sports side, too. Uh, and though I don't think there's, you know, there's not quite as much like Wall Street attention on on NBC Sports as it relates to Comcast uh, stock price as there is, you know, with uh, Disney and ESPN. Um, but, you know, with my Wall Street glasses on, to be honest, uh, the glasses are all so fogged up uh, that if there's a if there's really a good case for growth, uh, it's very hard for me to see. Uh, can can you wipe my uh, glasses off so I can see it? <laughs> oh, look, I, speaking from a sports perspective. You know, the sports content is is still the content you watch live, still the content you set your schedule around and you tune in for. And I think when you look at NBC Sports and the rights portfolio that we have, the Olympics, Sunday football, the Super Bowl later this year, on the Telemundo side, uh, the Men's World Cup, it's the best of the best. Right. And so if we're a believer that sports fans will exist into the you know, near and far future, I think we're, we're pretty well positioned there. That, that sounds good. Um. You know, when when I uh, when I see that even major events uh, still usually are kind of in the the range of about one one percent to three percent of viewership uh, being handled uh, via streaming, I frequently wonder, and as you know, I think sometimes out loud, if uh, all the infrastructure uh, dollars being spent on on supporting the streaming can actually be worth it right now. And you've kind of cautioned me that looking at it on a sort of an individual basis is, is not really the right way to look at it. Can 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 you talk about um, how 
with with uh, even though like say something like Sunday Night Football might only pull in a, you know uh, the streaming might only pull in a, uh, say two percent of the total viewership, uh, can you, can you talk about how that's still a sort of a huge property even by itself? Sure, sure. Myopically on the Sunday Night Football, you know, obviously we're we're selling these games digitally. So what we use is digital ad insertion, dynamic ad insertion. So the ads you see on digital are different uh, than the ones you see on TV. And typically, advertisers have historically paid a higher CPM to deliver those ads. Um, in addition, you often have 15-second commercials instead of 30. So a two-minute pod may have eight 30-second commercials. And in the case of digital, it may have, you know, um, I'm sorry, it may, in a two-minute pod it may have, have four 30-second commercials and it may have eight 15-second commercials online. Right. There are pre-rolls. There are banners around the video player. Um, there's other interactive features like in-progress highlights that using, users can click on, social feeds that are sponsored. Uh, there's a lot of other ways you can monetize a feed that's different than TV. And I understand the, the idea that digital streaming in the live window may be 1% or 2 or 3%, and in some cases like Premier League, it, it's much higher. But take the Olympics, for example. I think it was around 2 or 3% of the overall, overall live minutes were on the digital side. But the revenue, the revenue of a billion-dollar-plus uh, uh, project was uh, was 10% digital. So it, 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 it sort of disproportionately drives revenue uh, for the NBC Sports Group. Yeah, that sounds good. And I, and I think, you know, everyone everyone knows about the, the Olympics and, and Sunday Night Football uh, type of streaming. But, you know, I, I, think, I think I read somewhere that, that you know, uh, across all the NBC – uh, you know, streaming properties, including Golf Channel, including Telemundo. There's there's like ten thousand hours of of content streamed annually. Uh, can can you give a little perspective on the on the breadth of, of that content? Sure, I think it's a, I think we and we try and calculate this all the time, but I think we're up to sixteen thousand hours wow. when you include all the regional sports networks. Uh, so yeah, we we own six regional sports networks, and we now stream all the Major League Baseball, all the NBA games, all the um, all the NHL games that they have. Uh, we have Golf Channel, of course. Uh, we have NBC broadcast on weekends. And, of course, we have NBCSN and then the Olympics uh, during uh, every other year. In addition to all that, we have a bunch of overflow content, particularly around Premier League and, and NHL playoffs, which where games appearing on USA Network or CNBC. We, we would stream those as well. Right. And I think you mentioned Telemundo. So a lot of, a lot of content flowing through here. And – you know, there is cost in streaming. I mean, you're not wrong. It, it takes money and, and infrastructure and resources to put uh, the bits out there for folks to watch. But once you build that infrastructure, and we have and we needed to for our, certainly our big events, the cost to stream for these smaller events, which you would think would not be profitable, tend to be negligible from a cost standpoint. Um, you know, the real cost of our business tends to be the bigger events, which you have backup streams to. Uh, you know, for the Super Bowl, we'll probably have, you know, eight or nine backup streams, making sure that it goes off without a hitch um, and to have eyes on glass and all that. When you talk about a smaller stream, like, a, you know, not to pick on it, but like a Dan Patrick show on a, on a random weekday morning, there's a lot less, you know, resource and infrastructure that goes into that, which makes it a hell of a lot cheaper. Yeah, I just want to I want to get back to what you said about the, the backup streams for big, big events. I just want to make sure that uh, I'm understanding it correctly. So th- there are. There are added production costs uh, that 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 you take on uh, just just for extra redundancy on the on the streaming side. Yeah, no question. So for the big events, we, we typically go hot hot. So 
So having another hot stream ready to go in case there's some disruption of service, we can quickly sub out the you know the stream that's having the issue for the new stream. Right. Um, you know you want to be geographically set up so you have different uh, ways the the streams can get out in case there's a disruption in one area of the country. And there's it just depends upon the event, like Olympics and Super Bowls and Sunday Night Football being our top events that we'll, we're willing to spend money to have that insurance. Sure, that that makes a lot of sense. I, I know that like a ESPN's investment in BAM Tech gets uh, talked about a lot uh, by most of like the usual suspects in sports media. Uh, but but you have uh, I think it's called Playmaker Media, which is sort of a similar. I, you know, I don't I don't know all the nuts and bolts, but it, you know, sure. I, I I view it as a similar to to BAM Tech. Uh, what what are the what are the current priorities for you with Playmaker? Yeah, so about a year and a half ago, um, we we looked around heading into the Rio Olympics and said, you know, over the years we've managed to build up a pretty big infrastructure technologically, and we feel we're pretty good at streaming live sports, which is sort of a unique skill set. There's a lot of video companies that can do uh, SVOD services or VOD, but to do a live event at scale with monetization, with TV everywhere, like that's a special skill that you only really attain by experience. And we felt like there were a lot of our partners that may, you know, need this either now or into the future, uh, particularly league partners that retain some some rights. So we launched Playmaker Media, and our first client was one of our biggest partners, the IOC. Right. The IOC launched their International Olympic Channel, uh, I believe it was last September, right after Rio was over. And that's being powered out of Stanford, Connecticut offices here at NBC Sports. Um, we also have a deal with Chivas TV. We're handling their direct consumer OTT uh, network down in Mexico. Uh, it's, it's geographically fenced to Mexico, so it's not available in the United States, but NBC Sports, and again, here, our Stanford office is powering that service. Wow. Uh, NASCAR, again, one of our big partners on the right side. Uh, they have an international OTT, so before this season, uh, if you were a NASCAR fan living in Europe, you didn't have access to the content. Uh, we launched this back in February before Daytona, and, and now you can pay a fee and, and watch all the NASCAR contents available to you. So it's, it's, a, it's a nice business. I think it's strategic for us in terms of keeping our partners close to us and not having to go to another third party. It's something we can bring to bear in a rights negotiation um, and something that we're bullish on to the future as the world continues to be evolving towards an IP-streamed environment. Yeah, along sort of along those lines, how, how's it going uh, with uh, with NBC Sports Gold? It's good. I mean, I would say NBC Sports Gold. So we historically have streamed Tour de France. You know, it's funny because it was on versus during the Lance Armstrong days, pre TV everywhere. Right. And and the product was was good. I mean, it was you know the guys at, at versus. This is, this predates me, of course. Uh, did an awesome job with it. And then when we inherited it back in, I think it was 2012 or so, it was one of these things like we didn't want to talk about. It was direct consumer. We were much more focused on TV everywhere and, 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 and cable in general. And this is sort of a legacy product that was um, that we had to do based upon our rights deal. I and see. I think a few years went by and my boss, Mark Lazarus, said, hey, why don't we promote that a bit and see what happens? And so we put a little bit more effort into it. And lo, lo and behold, you know, the subscriptions popped. We said, you know what, there's probably something to this. And so we went through another year. It, it increased again. Um, we then decided, like, hey, let's try and start to experiment around this direct consumer and see if some of these smaller sports, you know, if we can deliver more content to them, if we can do, you know, VOD and, and, and the Tour de France app itself had GPS on the riders and, 
the elevation changes of the French Alps? Like, really, can we super serve this audience? Are they willing to pay for it? And we discovered they, they did. And so we, we branded NBC Sports Gold. We led with cycling. Uh, we acquired a bunch of other cycling races, including Vuelta, and creating a cycling pass, which launched last July. Um, and then from there, we looked across our portfolio and said, hey, we have a bunch of rugby content. Let's launch a rugby vertical. We have some track and field. Uh, motocross was, was another one that we had. You know, 75% of the hours were digital only for motocross. Wow. And so we put that into a premium package. And the response has been great. I mean, people, you know, at the end of the day, I think you look at these sports and, and whether you're a fan of them or not, you can appreciate the passion that some people have for them. And I'm a big NFL fan. I'm a big traditional sports fan. But there are some people where motocross is their Super Bowl. They, look, they like motocross more than like the NFL or MLB or NBA. And I think we're serving that audience now that we maybe neglected in the past. Um, so, so can you talk like on the motocross side? I mean, I don't I don't. I don't expect you, you know, to, to, to give away state secrets as far as any numbers are concerned. Um, but, but for something like motocross, I'm, I'm like, I'm just wondering like how, like in, in very round numbers, like how many subscribers do you need to have for something like that for it, for it to be a real business? So motocross in general was a sunk cost. It was a linear, uh, right steel where again, a couple hours a weekend are available on NBC, uh, sports network or NBC broadcast. And the extra hours, the practices and, and the Motos 1s or the Motos 2, whatever it is that weekend, we, we streamed for free in the past just for, you know, the good of the gotcha. audience. And so to launch a, a gold product behind it, there wasn't a ton of incremental costs, at least discrete costs against that sport. I see. And another example where, where it made even better, like we have Notre Dame football international rights. And we typically don't do anything with them. They're effectively warehoused. And we understand there's probably not a lot of Notre Dame fans living abroad, but there are some. And Notre Dame football, if you went there, you're you're passionate about it. And we said, hey, why don't why don't we um, offer these games up to these folks that aren't in the United States during the seven home dates of their football season and see what happens? It also appeals, of course, to the away team too. So if you're a USC fan, they're playing Notre Dame. Right. Maybe you want to buy just that game. So with very little cost, we we're launching a Notre Dame vertical. Uh, again, not in the United States, but internationally. Yeah. Okay. So, so that so that makes a lot of sense. But I I, I just want to recap and make sure I'm understanding it. It's, it's you you guys, you know whatever whatever you have the rights to stream, you already you know that's that's the biggest cost. So you, so you so you have those rights. The uh, so the 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 costs involved to actually add them like you know to a to a special or separate streaming package. The incremental cost of doing that is 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 not enough to worry about. Do, do I have right. that? Look, I, that? That's absolutely right. I, I, we look at it this way, right? So there, there are digital-only packages that are available, and we have to know what makes NBC NBC or NBC Sports NBC Sports, right? right. What's valuable to the rights holder that's selling us these rights are the linear windows, the exposure for their sport. If it's a check-writing contest, I don't think that we would typically win that on strictly a D2C side. What we want to do is bring, you know, all the assets that NBC has to bear. And that includes, again, hopefully linear windows on NBCSN or NBC, but also marketing exposure throughout the digital properties of, of NBC Sports. And, of course, the monetization through NBC Sports Gold. And I think long term, NBC Sports Gold can be a platform in which content owners would love to have their content. We're already seeing on the track and field side, 25% of the subs for track and field are cycling subscribers. So the cross-pollination between the two different verticals 
is something that we hope that we'll continue to see happen. Yeah, that that uh, that makes a lot of sense. Um, so, um, you know, just given the 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 current state of technology, um, like, and this isn't just for NBC. Like, what, what do you think is the what is what is the most uh, concurrent, simultaneous, uh, you know, viewers uh, any any single event could handle on streaming today reliably? It, so it's not that simple. Really, it comes down to bits. So, again, it's a big difference between someone that's watching on a connected TV device at 7 megs per second uh, streaming quality versus someone streaming on a phone at, you know, 1.5 megabits per second. Right. Right. So, so it really comes down to a totality of megabits per second running through the pipes. And it, it ends up being geographically relevant. So, you potentially, based upon CDN and, and where it is, you could have an outage in Boston but be totally fine streaming in Hartford. Right. And, and, and so it's hard to say, like, you know, geographically across the United States, there's some peak number of which the Internet can handle. Um, it's really different than that. I will say we, we have hit, you know, to give you a general sense, we hit 1.3 million peak concurrence during the 2015 uh, Super Bowl, the Patriots first, the, uh, the Seahawks. That was right when Malcolm Butler had that you know, memorable interception. Um, which was it's a lot of a lot of data flowing through different pipes and it, and it worked it didn't crash uh, we delivered our ads for that day and it made us certainly a lot of us nervous um, but I think the internet continues to sort of get better and, and people's devices get better and the, and the, the pipes into the home seem to have, uh, support higher higher speeds and, and streams. A lot of people are sort of of the mind that uh, you know in the in the in the future and for some of them in the very near future everything is just somehow going to migrate to streaming. Um, I you know I'm I'm definitely not in that camp. Um, I think however it happens it, it's going to happen uh, probably more slowly than 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 anyone thinks. But I, I'm you know as far as the the, the concurrent streams and, and that kind of thing, I'm, I'm just wondering from your point of view, like when will we be at a point where if you had to serve Sunday night football, uh, 100% or close to 100% via streaming where, where you wouldn't be frantically freaked out by that, by those prospects. Well, I'll always be frankly freaked out <laughs> even when it's just a TV everywhere stream and it's available on TV. Right. So that, it probably won't change, you know, my mindset or the technological team's mindset here. Um, look, I, I think we're getting, you're getting close to a stage where you can deliver, you know, quality streams at scale. What, it, what does that scale mean? Does it mean there's 20 million concurrent users? I think you probably have some issues there still, but it's getting better and it's getting better fast. Now, I don't believe overall that the world's going to flip to IP stream exclusively. Right. Like, it's not, for me, it's not a zero-sum game either. I think that NBC Sports, and I think Mark Lazarus would echo this, is we don't view, you know, us losing customers or losing viewers if they end up digital streamers as long as they're watching our content. And we're fairly agnostic overall as long as they're watching the NBC Sports content on any screen they may have, whether it's a 60-inch flat-screen TV in the living room wall or the small three-and-a-half-inch iPhone screen. We're happy they're watching our content. Yeah, uh, so uh, related to that, um, are, are, there, are there partnerships with, you know, the, the Sony Views and the, and the DirecTV Nows uh, that, that NBC has? Do, do, do you manage that, or is that just managed through the normal programming stream? That's managed through the distribution group. Gotcha. Uh, for me, it's frustrating that, uh, you know, I can't really ever on a timely basis uh, see any kind of total audience delivery numbers. I mean, I can ultimately see them. I can see the L plus 35. I can see the streaming numbers when you report them. 
uh, but but it's difficult. But you know, from from your perspective, d- does any of that matter in in terms of running your business? I mean, you've got the linear TV ratings. You know what your streaming numbers are internally. Uh, do do you need anything else from a you know from a Nielsen reporting perspective? I, I think you do. I think I think you want. Look, from my myopic view of digital, no, of course. Like you know, the number of impressions that we're delivering and the reach that we have on digital is how I would run my business just just on the digital side. But I think more broadly, you want to have you want to have some level of idea of the popularity of the sport, or popularity of that event. You know, it's particularly of importance right now when it comes to like weekday streaming of Olympic events, or you see it with Premier League daytime games. And you sort of put that together. For Premier League, we can be upwards of 20, 25% of the average minute audience of a Premier League during the, during the workday. So it is, is, at that point, sort of you know, meaningful to the overall popularity of that particular game to add in the digital components. For football and for other primetime events, it tends to be much smaller at 2 or 3%. Gotcha. That that uh, that makes a lot of sense. So, um, you know, I know I uh, I I sometimes uh, do some bombastic, uh, stupid tweeting, and uh, I, I once during Sunday Night Football while I was watching the game online, and I didn't see any ads, and I I tweeted out, uh, "What's wrong with M- NBC? Why aren't they inserting ads into uh, into Sunday Night Football?" And uh, n- nice guy that you are, you you uh, direct messaged me and uh, and asked me if I was by any chance using adblock and i was by chance using adblock uh, i turned it off i saw the ads immediately and i have uh since uh, whitelisted uh nbc and and uh and that's all good and i i you know feel pretty ashamed of myself about that but i'm just wondering um you know at the time we were talking it seemed like adblock w- was a really big deal both you know for for uh you know uh, text web and for for video web uh, is it still a big a big problem for you guys I think for our, our core business where, where we make the vast majority of our money digitally is, is live streaming. And so, you know, and thank you for turning on, turning off your ad blocker. It helps the revenues anyway, cheaper before we can, we, we like that. Um, but it's, it's not that big a deal on live because after our, our back and forth, I had my tech team, um, basically if you're using an ad block, you get a message saying, you know, please turn it off or else you cannot watch this content. And you see that similarly throughout the industry. So for the premier content, that you have or people really want to watch, you know, that message pops up and most likely you're going to turn it off. And for live football, too, the experience with ad-free, would you rather watch a slate for two minutes plus during each commercial break? Or would you rather have the cadence of commercials that are being played? So not a big deal on the live side. I think it's, it's certainly still an issue on the text-based side, display-based side of the business, where, you know, a football article or an article on, you know, a baseball game that, you know, the Giants recap from last night, if we, you know, basically block you out, you just go to another website. Right. You know, it's sort of the commodity content, it's difficult to, to monetize. So it's still certainly an issue for the industry, but probably more on, on that side of the fence. Right. So uh, kind of along similar lines now, you know, uh, pretty much the whole time that I've been doing uh a sports TV ratings uh, Twitter feed, which is coming up on on three years. The notion of of, of password sharing ha- has you know has been out there that that it's something that people definitely do. But uh, three years ago, it seemed like uh, you know the the talk from 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 folks like you at the networks was ah you know what it, it's not that big of a deal. Uh, but I'm starting to get the sense that uh, maybe it is now a big deal. Uh, am am I right about that, or is it, it or or is it still not a big deal? No, it's a big deal. It's no, it's no question that you feel it happening. 
And certainly, as I think as cable has eroded a little bit on the quartz cutting side or quartz shaving side, you feel, you know, you feel some of the some of the you know content consumption on digital is taking place by the folks that have cut the cord and borrowing their parents or friends' uh, usernames. There's one school of thought certainly that says, hey, this is the next group of, of, uh, of cable subscribers, and we're just giving them a little bit of free marketing of content before they grow up and move to the suburbs and get disposable incomes, and that should just be the way we do our business. Right. The other part of it, it's material. And, you know, we've seen in some cases where, you know, content on cable – uh, that streamed is higher stream than your content on broadcast TV, which is obviously more readily available through an antenna. Uh, imagine that an antenna to get your content. Right. Um, but we see that we see that pop there. Um, I, it's something that we got to wrestle as an industry. It's difficult because of the relationships you have with the various MVPDs, and how do you have one solution across the board? Right. You could have the connected t- connected TV devices like Roku's and Apple TVs be h- tied to high speed data. That's one way to sort of keep that at bay. Uh, you could have mobile phones check in, you know, once a month or once in a period of time to make sure that that person that's using that phone or mobile device does live in the area of which or the household of which they're subscribed to cable in. But I don't think we're close to implementing a solution in the near term. Um, we have to tackle this as an industry. Yeah, that uh, that that is uh, definitely a tough one. I, I think we've talked about this a little bit offline before, but it seems like that uh, that whenever I tweet anything about that, that uh, that the number of responses that yeah every I do it and everyone I know uh, does it, uh, it. I'm always surprised by the volume of those responses. Yeah, look, I think part of it is the technology has gotten better to give that TV type experience via a stream that what didn't exist four or five years ago, and certainly at the amount of content available. I understand it. If someone doesn't have the money for cable, this is kind of they see it as an outlet. I think we've done a survey where people looked at it as not stealing but sharing, um, which is obviously a much a much uh, more positive word to call it. Um, so, uh, you know, look, we have to tackle this industry. I think it's reaching a point where it's becoming a material impact to the linear business, and we just have to figure out how to technically implement it, which is not easy, by the way. Yeah, yeah. I, if if if, uh, if I knew how to figure that one out, I, that that's what I would be focusing my time on. I have no idea. Uh, so I want to get you out of here with uh, a couple of questions uh, again on uh, on NBC Gold. So sure. I, I know, and I'm, I'm sure you've you've fielded a ton of these already, but uh, you know, there's there's sort of a lot of um, um, uh, the sentiment, I guess I would uh, would say, is the fans are getting screwed when um, when these OTT packages are offered that are that are good as OTT packages but have taken away uh, some of the content that was that was on TV. And, I, right. you know, I sort of struggle with how I think about that, right? Because, you know, I think about, say, the NFL's deal with Verizon, and I'm an AT&T customer, and so I think, hey, you know what, that deal doesn't work out well for me, and, uh, you know, I don't necessarily like it, but I don't necessarily feel like I'm getting screwed over either. Um, you know, what, what's your response generally to that? So I, I understand the passion of Premier League fans and, you know, their feeling is that we're charging for something that was offered free in the past. You know, what we haven't done is removed any linear windows. So the same amount of linear content that appeared on NBC, NBCSN, CNBC, uh, or USA Network, or what have you, has not changed at all. We actually only took what was extra time and made that a premium product. In addition to that, we've also had a thousand hours of shoulder programming around Premier League. 
Right. So we're really proud of the product itself. And if you're a, a big Premier League fan, we feel like, hey, this is something that you probably want to have and you'll really enjoy uh, consuming. I understand the sentiment out there. Uh, you know, looking back, did we make a mistake by not going D to C directly, which is where Fox was, right. or certainly where Turner has gone uh, immediately with their Champions League deal? We, we have to fig- we have to figure it out. Um, so I don't I don't think we have any regrets going this going this pathway, and we'll see how it plays out the rest of the season. Right. Yeah. So the 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 one the one pushback I got on that, uh, which I which I thought was actually good pushback was I, I had a guy contact me and he said, he said, yeah, yeah. But the, the thing is this, you know, b- before I, I could at least go into a bar and get that game. And now I, I can't go into a bar and get that game. So, uh, I, 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 I don't know if that's exactly right. I mean, I, so I understand how like direct TV works with, uh, yep. with bars and, and, uh, you know, selling things like, uh, you know, like uh, Mayweather McGregor and, and, and that type of stuff or, or, or NFL Sunday ticket. But n- now on the streaming side, I, I'm really not sure how that works out. So I think there's it's two things there. So, so first off, we've been in discussions with uh, cable companies to offer that via commercial establishments. Uh, those conversations are ongoing. We, we totally understand the fact that at some, some bars open up at 10 a.m. Or, or 7 a.m., to welcome in the, the fans of a particular team. Right. So we're not, we're not tone deaf to that. And we understand that's part of, of being a big Premier League fan. We want that to continue. So we have, you know, made offers and, and are in discussions with uh, distributors there. Um, the second thing is the bar rooms, and we're not saying that, you know, that this is easy, but they could subscribe to NBC Sports Gold and offer the package through a TV or two to, uh, to help those fans when they enter the establishments on Saturday morning. Right. There is another avenue to, to get the content. Right. So you're saying if I if I ran a bar establishment, uh, you would not prohibit me from just signing up like a regular for a regular NBC Gold package. Um, I would certainly say in, until such times as the the bar distributor agreement has been uh, has been put forth, we certainly wouldn't wouldn't object to that happening. All right. That 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 sounds uh, that sounds very fair to me. Okay. So one final question: What is the uh, uh, outside of anything that, that involves NBC uh, or, or NBC in particular, what's the uh, what's the most interesting sports media story for you? What, what are you keeping your eye on? I mean, broadly, the changing media landscape. I mean, you, you see the moves that have happened from you know what Disney has announced a few weeks ago and Turner announced with with Champions League. You see, you know, some fairly big chess moves happening around. Uh, the industry. You see some of the ratings challenges with with primetime television. Yeah. Um, you see some of the other, we'll call them disruptors like Amazon and, and Facebook and and Twitter get into the streaming of sports game. You know, all that combined is sort of like where does this project in you know two, three, four, ten years from now, and how do we start to sort of you know move our business in that direction to be you know as they say where the puck is going as, as opposed to where it's been. Um, so we're trying to do that. I mean, part of that is NBC Sports Gold. Uh, part of that's the Playmaker service we launched. Uh, part of that's how we negotiate rights and to make sure that the rights are not strictly linear, but they're more multi-platform, that they go deeper than just what's on TV in many cases. So we're trying to sort of address all that. Certainly it's difficult. You know, the, the negotiations with leagues have become, you know, much more, much more elongated, you know, digital probably taking up 90% of, of what retained rights are. Right. If you look back a few years, I mean, we all had our very nice swim lanes, right? The the leagues had content. 
They sold the content to us. We then sold it to distributors and everyone had a role and that role was somewhat autonomous and exclusive. Now the leagues want to retain streaming rights. They want to retain highlight rights. They want to retain things that are in the broadcast window. The uh, distributors want to have more rights around highlights. Distributors want to have direct relationships in some cases with the leagues. It's, it's all very, very confusing and sort of bumping into each other. And so you're trying to assess, you know, what is marketing and helping to promote the brand? What is you know, allowable that's not going to necessarily be fatal to your, you know, your rights model? And, you know, what do you want to retain and try and monetize, either defensively or offensively? So it's just becoming a lot more uh, complicated and interesting at the same time. Yep, definitely interesting times. Uh, Rick, thanks for joining the world's fastest growing sports media podcast with that Sports TV ratings. Thanks, Robert. Really happy to, really happy to be here. Thank you. So thanks again to uh, Rick Cordella for joining the podcast. You can check out past podcasts with uh, Jimmy Trainer from Sports Illustrated, Fred Siegel from the Freezing Cold Takes, and uh, at, Col- at Old Takes Exposed Twitter feed, Jay Adande, uh, Ryan Glassbeagle from The Big Lead. And uh, you can find all the past podcasts on Apple Podcasts, Google Play, or at sportstvratings.com. Thanks for listening.